Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. So uh, I ask this question every year on Christmas on purpose because I think if you wrestle with this question long enough, you'll either have to admit that Jesus is who he says he is or that we're all just crazy for celebrating him like this. So here's the question. Uh, What kind of person would you have to be for billions around the world to celebrate your birthday 2,000 years from now? Because whatever it is, I dare you to try it. And as a matter of fact, we don't just celebrate Jesus' birthday. We actually measure time by it. We call it the BCAD dating system. BC stands for before Christ. AD stands for Anno Domini, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord. And today, you can't sign an important document. You can't turn in a term paper. You can't write a check if you're still into that sort of thing, boomers. Um, You can't write a check without acknowledging the birthday of Jesus. We're about to celebrate year 2024. 2024 years since what? And it's not just time, by the way, uh, that, uh, that this season, or that revolves around this season. Uh, it's our money as well. The American economy actually shapes its strategy and its calendar every year around the birthday of an ancient Middle Eastern baby who shares none of its values. It's like a mega holiday that we've turned it into. So uh, picture one right here. For example, there is a culinary menu for it. And we all know that menu. There are lovely desserts. There are drinks for you yoga pants wearing peppermint mocha ladies in the room. And also little Debbie's praise God, the greatest in-store Christmas dessert there is. I've only eaten four this year, which is about 90% less my normal intake. There isn't just a culinary menu. There's also a dress code. There's recreational wear. I saw a guy walking to church on Friday night to our first Eve service in this sweater with lights on it. And I was like, I'm not sure, should I feel sacrilegious about this or okay. Uh, But there's not just casual wear, there's more formal wear as well. Some of y'all, your mama told you to to come to church with her today and dress up and you understood the assignment. And there's there's not just a dress code, there's a color code too. It's red and it's green. You don't wear pastels to Christmas. That's Jesus' other holiday and Kentucky Derby. All right. There are design codes for your yard, Clark Griswold. There are interior design codes for your home, or at least we wish our home looked like that. (laughs) There are children's tales and also traditions that we love to participate in. And there's also a litany of songs. Did you know that Mariah Carey has now uh, had $100 million in earnings? I read this this week, $100 million in earnings on this one song alone. It's been streamed 1.5 billion times, which means that 
this lady, there ain't a preacher on earth who has profited off Jesus as much as this lady right here. <laughs> There's also a library, <sighs> a library of visual entertainment media. Put your hand down. Never mind the fact that according to science, the Hallmark Christmas station creates anxiety among singles. It's science, y'all. Look, Dr. Bella DePaulo, she's got a PhD. I'm not sure in what, but she's she got one. It also decreases commitment in marital couples. More science for you. But hey, fine, let's just go ahead and make it the background noise of our Christmas. Some of y'all are like, he's salty. I am. Of course, there's Santa. Ho, ho, ho. We love him, kids. And, and don't forget the presents. The true reason for the season, according to corporate America. I got to say, y'all, that's a lot of hype. I could go on, but, but you get the point. That's a lot of hype. So my question today is, why? For what? To celebrate the virgin birth of a God baby? Really? Like who in a secular, progressive, enlightened society called the United States of America would ever believe such an unscientific impossibility? The story has angels teleporting, shepherds getting like trippy visions in a field, astrologists following a star across lands. What? And the American economy in the 21st century revolves around that? Hmm. So you got to ask yourself, like, why has this holiday been so enduring? Why? Why do we rush to it each year earlier and earlier and earlier with more enthusiasm and more energy? Why is it that we keep putting more and more dollars into it to make it bigger and better? Especially when it stands for something so metaphysical and miraculous. Why? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because we want it to be true. We're grasping for something that we don't fully have and that we can't fully purchase. We want that joy to the world. We want some semblance of peace on earth. We want and desire Christmas wonder. I think that's a natural part of the human condition. Now, here's what you're all going to find out eventually, though. You can decorate as early as you want to. You can decorate for Thanksgiving. You can decorate for Halloween. I don't care. Like, that's what sinners do. But you, you can decorate early as one. But you can't manufacture the magic. You can buy matching Christmas pajamas for the family. You can eat like a pound of your grandma's peanut brittle or fudge or whatever you do at your house. You can be that one neighbor who does the tacky light projections on the side of the house. Did I say tacky? I meant fun and zippy. You can do the fun and zippy projections, but, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there is nothing magical about the 25th day of the 12th month of the year, one of the darkest days of the year. Historians actually believe that Jesus was probably born sometime in September or so. If you're putting a sort of redemptive pressure on this day to somehow save you and lift you out of your holiday malaise, I'm just going to tell you it ain't going to live up to it. At best, all the pep of December is just a momentary escape until January hits and the decorations get rolled up back into the attic. The only thing, and I mean the only thing, that makes this season truly magical is if what we believe is actually true. If the only begotten Son of God was born and laid in a manger so that we could find the way, have the truth, and have eternal life, well, well then, well, 
Merry Christmas. And maybe, just maybe, this season does have something to offer a very anxious world. Now, you realize this is exactly what Jesus claims about himself, right? In John 14, verse 6, uh, Jesus said this. He said, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Uh, Everybody say, the way. The The truth. The The life. Let's talk through each very briefly. First, Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the way. I think a part of the human experience is that, especially as we get older and older, we're all trying to figure out the best way to do life, to navigate life, to maximize the good, to minimize the bad, to face the inevitability of suffering, to heal our brokenness and our sin and our trauma and and our regret. We're all trying to figure out the best way. And what I found observing people as a pastor is that, me included, we're all really, really good at crowning pseudo-saviors to help us in that endeavor. Pseudo-saviors. Now, Tyler, what's a pseudo-savior? Well, a pseudo-savior is a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing only to discover that it can't deliver everything, at least not everything that we need. So let me give you a few examples of this. First, um, Uh, Since mental illness seems to be the way that that our collective brokenness right now is presenting itself at a societal level, uh, what I found is that a lot of people are looking to psychology as a pseudo-savior. Now, remember, psychology, it's it's a good thing. Pseudo-saviors are often good things. I've got a lot of my friends who are counselors, good people. Their schedules are full right now, by the way. They are full. And therapy can be really, really helpful. If you don't have a good therapist and you think you need one, you should find one. But because it is so helpful, a lot of people have been tempted to think, well, if I can just get like the right combo of psychology, if I can just get the right combo of like counseling and also anxiety meds and also self-help technique, maybe a therapy dog at work and probiotics because everything's connected to the gut, right? If I can just get all, if I can get it all just fit together, just right, then, then things will be okay. I'll be good. But here's the problem with that though. Even if I could like press a button today and it would immediately heal all of our our trauma and our mental challenges in the room, just in the snap of fingers, it would take us about a day to totally re-traumatize one another all over again. And it would take us about three minutes on social media to either over-inflate our sense of self-esteem or completely lose it comparing ourselves to others. So you see, so you see, Psychology is a good thing. It just can't deliver everything. It's a pseudo-savior. Here's another. Uh, Money. A lot of people look to money as a pseudo-savior. We think, if I could just travel a little more, or if I could just have that finished basement, a little bit more yard on the house, if if America could just get behind the idea that having a barista-grade espresso machine in every home is a human right, then we'd all be happy. But again... None of that brings lasting joy. It's stuff, and stuff is never enough. I call that the more better now way of life. And here's what you'll find. More better now does not lead to contentment. It's actually a sickness called greed. If you don't believe me, watch this Christmas as you avalanche your kids with like 15, 20 presents, and they can't even focus on the one in front of them because what are they doing? They're just eager to open up the next one and the next one and the next one after that. Other people look to tech as a pseudo-savior. 
I saw this headline recently on the gram. It said that Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan, want to cure, prevent, or manage every disease by the end of this century. To which I was like, okay, well, I hope they're successful, but it sounds a little ambitious to me. I'm actually more hopeful about this next headline uh, read this week, that some Chick-fil-A stores are now delivering food with drones. Praise God. <laughs> this is when you say amen in church. We got chicken from heaven, manna from heaven. Unfortunately, it is only in Texas and North Carolina right now. So come to Kentucky, Jesus. Other people turn to politics as a pseudo savior. And if the last few elections has taught us anything about that, it's that politics make for a bad religion, politicians make for bad saviors, and political platforms make for terrible gospels. I actually just read this past week that the Colorado Supreme Court had ruled that President Trump cannot be on their ballot in this next election cycle. And, uh, and when I read that, I thought to myself, translation, this whole election season's gonna get nasty again. And you know what? It was so delightful to pastor everyone through it in 2020. You were so stable, so, so fun and peppy when you came to church that we as pastors cannot wait for it. We can't wait. <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, now there are like a hundred other pseudo savior solutions that I could go through that, that folks are predicting will be the way up or the way out. But I want you to think about this. You, you rewind hundred years ago and a lot of the stuff that people were saying that we need in order you know, to, to be happier, to create our utopia or whatever it may be. A lot of it we've done. Like technology is insane. Luxuries are more luxurious and accessible to all. Food tastes better. We've done more to end extreme poverty in the last 40 years or so than maybe ever in human history. Huge advancements in civil rights. Travel is cheaper and faster. Dreaded diseases like polio, measles, mumps, rubella, and smallpox have been contained. And we've added over 20 years to lifespans. We fixed a lot of stuff. But guess what? There's more stuff. There's just more stuff. And, and even though we fixed a lot of stuff, we are more depressed, more anxious, and more despairing than we were today. So you got to ask yourself, hmm, I wonder what's going on. You want to know what my take is? My take is, is that pseudo-saviors, they're good, but they, okay, they, can, they can actually make your quality of life better. But these good things are not meant to be ultimate things. They're not meant to be God. And in our pursuit to make these good things into God things, we actually squeeze the good out of them. So what we need is something, no better, someone whose goodness is endless, eternal, and internal. Someone who can heal the human heart. Someone who can guide a lost soul home. Someone who can show us the path to a peace that passes understanding and transcends circumstances. And Jesus says, I can do that. I am the way. Next, Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm the truth. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a question answer. I'm wired like a skeptic. So uh, when I was younger, um, I decided that if I was going to give my whole life to Jesus, I mean, you only got one life, right? If I was going to give my whole life, he better be true. It's a pretty big investment. 
So I took all the major worldviews and religions, and I just ran life's big questions through them to the best of my ability. Basically, my mind looked like this chart right here. Um, there are four categories of questions on that chart, questions of human origins, questions of meaning, questions of morality, and questions of destiny. The big questions of life that we all wrestle around with. And as I worked this chart through in my head and in my life, I basically came to three conclusions. Conclusion number one is that uh, every religion, every religion, had some true and beautiful things about it. You can't just write somebody off because of what they believe. You can find common ground with any of your neighbors and find a way to love them. Uh, second, I found, though, that, that every religion is not the same. All religions aren't basically the same. That's a very popular thing to say today. In fact, that's what the majority of young Americans believe today, that all religions are basically the same. But if you were asked a, a truly devoted believer of, of any of the major religions, they would roll, your eyes at you, or roll their eyes at you because you clearly don't understand what they believe. Any devout believer will tell you, we're not the same. Uh, third and last, I found that running all these through, the Christian story made more sense of life than I believe any other. More intellectual sense and also more emotional sense. And I would just encourage you, like I don't know where you're at today, but take your worldview, take your religion, take your way of life and just run it through the big questions. In our culture right now, we have what I call a without God worldview. It's just sort of like this secular belief that, you know, what, I don't know secular agnosticism or athe atheism. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, if you believe there's no God, then the questions you have to, or the answers you have to the questions of origins, meaning, morality, destiny, it's a pretty sad story. If there's no God, what's our origin story? Well, it's just a random chaotic explosion with no higher intelligent designing force behind it. Basically, we believe that nothing created everything. Nothing created everything, which is both an irrational and illogical conclusion. If there's no God, what about morality? Well, morality boils down to some combination of evolutionary instinct and power dynamics. Might makes right. If there's no God, we have no destiny. There is no future. Game over when you die. You will not leave a legacy. Everybody talks about, I want to leave a legacy. You will not leave a legacy. Probably about 25 years after you died, nobody will remember that you existed. And meaning, well, if there's no God, there is no meaning. You don't matter, you're just matter. Decaying matter at that. Have you looked in the mirror lately? And you know, one day the world's gonna implode or explode into a bajillion pieces and shatter off into outer, outer space. You better hope there are aliens that can pick up the pieces because otherwise nobody's gonna remember anything about us. Merry Christmas. Again, I just got to challenge you. If that is the foundation of reality for you, irrational chaos, power dynamics, predetermined fixed evolutionary instinct, existential meaninglessness, if that's reality for you, you basically got, you got two options in life. One, you can live totally despairing because it's a pretty despairing and hopeless worldview. Or two, you have to lie to yourself. You literally have to live like what you believe isn't reality. 
You have to pretend like we're not hurtling towards nothingness and, and that your life somehow does matter. You have to try and manufacture your own meaning out of life. You basically have to be a hypocrite. You have to believe one thing, but then live another way. And isn't that what you hate about religious people? But look, some of you are like, ooh, Tyler, um, this is all intense. Uh, I really just came for the hot chocolate. I just came because a pretty girl invited me. I was like, sure, Christmas, whatever, right? And here I am, and I don't think about, I don't think about this stuff, man. Where, why are we here? Who cares? It's Christmas. Let's party, bro. USA, USA, USA. Live like there's no consequences. Okay. Now, if that's your mindset, appreciate the energy. Appreciate it, but we all know that there's consequences in life. Do you know what Jesus says? On the other hand, Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the truth. And I believe, read his story. I believe he offers us a version of reality that not only resonates with what we see around us, but also what we feel, the deepest desires of our heart. Which leads me to the last point. Jesus says, I am the life. I'm the life. You know how you can say that? Well, one, because he did life. He did pain. He did poverty. He did betrayal. He did death. He did it all, and he did it right. And then he defeated death. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So, hey, look, uh, for some of y'all, your life is so, like, super decent right now that you don't think about the big questions of life, and I get that. Uh, for the others of you, you're, you're young enough to where you haven't really thought about your own mortality at this point, and I understand that as well. But I promise you, at some point, you will reflect on your life. And eventually, you will face death. And when you do, you're gonna need a better coping mechanism than, it's Christmas, let's party, okay? Andrew Del Banco uh, says that hope is, hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all of our getting and all of our spending amounts to nothing more than just fidgeting while waiting for death. Oof, fidgeting while waiting for death. Do a little Christmas Eve brunch while waiting for death. Little CrossFit, little Peloton to keep the belly tight while waiting for death. Little Amazon, little Etsy, while waiting for death. Little vacation house at the lake, while waiting for death. Have another cocktail, while waiting for death. Put another thousand away in the 401k, while waiting for death. And then, oops, you did. <laughs> wow. You know, people say that death is a natural part of life. And I, I've said this before, but I could not disagree more. Ain't nothing that feels natural about it. Now, there is a reason why our bodies weep and rage and push back and reject death. There's a reason why we hate to see it in the ones that we love. And it's because death was not meant for us. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I agree. And I can give you eternal life, not just in the future, but right now in your present. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I can show you the Father. And I had to ask you, how? How could one man do that? But there's only one way. And that is if this one man is more than just a man, which is what we believe. 
Tim Keller explained it like this once. He told the story of Yuri Gagarin, a Russian cosmonaut. Yuri was uh, the first man to travel into outer space. He actually beat the U.S. there. And at the time, the official doctrine of the Soviet Union was that there's no God. So when he came back from outer space, he said, you know, I went there, I went to space, I didn't see God. So he thought that meant that, that God didn't exist. Now, at the time, C.S. Lewis was still alive. And he heard this and he responded in this way. He said, excuse me, um, if there was a God, then you wouldn't relate to him like workers on the first floor relate to management on the second floor. Uh, actually, you would relate to him more like, like Hamlet relates to Shakespeare, like a character in a story relates to the author. How's Hamlet ever gonna find out anything about Shakespeare? He, won't, he, won't, he can look on stage all he wants to, but he won't find Shakespeare there. No, the only way Hamlet could ever learn and know Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes himself in to the story. And that is exactly what God has done. And he, Jesus, is all you need this Christmas. So uh, take out your communion if you got it when you came in, my brothers and my sisters. Because this Christmas, we toast to what actually makes this season merry. Look, I'll say it one last time. You can decorate before Labor Day. You can string the lights and put the Christmas tree right in your front window so it gives you all the warm fuzzies when you pull in at night. You can take the perfect family photo and send it out to all your friends this Christmas, pretending life is that good all the time. But all that is just ornamentation if you're dead inside. So you know what Jesus says? He says, are you lost? I'm the way. Are you confused? I'm the truth. Are you dying? I can give you eternal life. This is the message of Christmas. So let's eat the bread. And let's drink the juice. That reminds us that God was born. God was with us, is with us, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. And he allowed that body that he took on to be broken for us and that blood to be shed. And for the rest of our time together this afternoon, let's worship this great God, Emmanuel, the God who's still with us.